Hey, Jordan, what's up? Hey. Hey, Rob, how's it going? It's going well. I'm feeling uh, relaxed and refreshed. Took a couple days off from the content mines. Uh, it was nice. And I know I know our listeners had a hard time through the hiatus because there was no obviously no Insurgents episode over the last couple of days while I was away. So happy to be back on the grind. No, about that one. Yeah. Um, you know, the feedback I've been hearing is... <laughs> Wow, this I, you took the show to great high, great new heights this week. Huh. Um, okay, yeah, I'm curious where you're where you you think they're they're not doing well. I, or? I think that was I think that was maybe some kind of like I think Ryan Broderick has a bunch of sock puppet accounts, and he's you think? Yeah, I think that's probably more like what it is. It would have actually would have been a okay. funny bit if we had created an AI Rob to replace me in that conversation. <laughs> that would have been very fitting to the discussion you two had. On the ethics of AI, if I could have just chimed yes. in with a few little quips, some AI, some sure. AI Rob banter <laughs> in there or something. I don't know. That could have been cool. Yeah, we just feed your Twitter. We put your Twitter feed into uh, some AI engine, and it spits out audio clips based on like what it thinks you would say, and just, we yeah. just interject with you talking about the navi people and or the navi and and why avatar 2 the way of water is so great it has nothing to do with that conversation yeah, that's the totally only input context. into the yeah. engine is just your twitter feed yeah <laughs> just just from rob russo avatar tweets and then just feed that into the machine <laughs> see what it spits out at you yeah it would probably be pretty uh, entertaining it was a fun conversation yeah oh, totally totally and fitting um so ryan broderick who writes Garbage Day, which is a great Substack. You should definitely subscribe. Joined me to talk about uh, the ethics of this voice AI technology. We talked a little bit about Twitter and how AI and voice AI is being used, the ethical complications. And this is Ryan is a guy who thinks and writes about the internet. He's been doing this for years. His perspective is really unique. We also got into Mr. Beast's chocolate bar line, and his calls for people to do free labor to reorganize his his chocolate bars at Walmart. It was really, really fun. Uh, we got flooded with emails. I think millions of emails came in saying mm. that it was the best episode of all time. So please go wow. to theinsurgents.substack.com to, to subscribe and hear it. If you want to be part of the, the growing uh, listenership that tuned in to the greatest Insurgents episode of all time. Oh, man. Yeah, like we were saying, uh, we were saying in our coming uh, interview, like all, all the new, the waves of new listeners are going to be tuning into this one. Just be like, wait, wait, what's going on here? What's the switcheroo that's going on here? Who's this guy? Who's this Joker? <laughs> just alienate yeah. all the all the hordes of um, new listeners that are be coming in now. That's how I operate. A Canadian on here? God damn! Yeah, <laughs> this is outrageous. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll begrudgingly the, admit that it was a good is, episode. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, f- <laughs> for for our beloved paid interns, uh, our subscribers, on Sunday night, we're going to be hosting another live chat over on the Substack app as we watch and react to the Oscars. This is a an award show I love to watch every year, and Rob does as well. And Rob and the Navi Nation are pulling hard for Avatar yep. 2, The Way of Water. I am pulling hard just for Avatar 2, The Way of Water, not to win anything, just to see Rob's reaction. I'm the heel of the Oscars <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, on that subject, I was actually genuinely, legitimately thrilled to have a fellow Avatar enjoyer, an Avatar respecter, um, and for a member of Navi Nation joined us this week, Frank Capello. He's the host of the new podcast, uh, Movies versus Capitalism, on the Lever Network. So we had a really great conversation about the, you know, the coming Oscars. We talked about... Uh, analyzing kind of film through this lens, this kind of anti-capitalist or Marxist lens or whatever you want to call it. Always a discussion that I uh, am intrigued by and interested by. Was very happy to to have finally, after months, to have someone who injected a little bit of sanity into the Avatar discussion. Um, But overall, just a really great conversation coming up with Frank Capello. You know, I think it's on me for not properly vetting Frank before we invited him on the show. That my my apologies. I did not know uh, his stance on the Navi Nation, and um, you know, if, if if I had known, I probably would not have invited him. So going forward, I promise to our listeners, I will do better. I see you, mm. I hear you. I sincerely apologize for <laughs> what you are about to hear in the upcoming interview and Frank's pro Navi comments. Always trying to trigger me on this. You're just never gonna. You're never gonna quit it. You're never. Gonna, the frustrating thing is you're never even gonna watch the movie. You're never even gonna watch it. No. The confidence. The confidence. The utter confidence with which you espouse these awful, awful takes about this film just never, never stops irking me. But I guess that tension is what people enjoy when they tune into this program. Like the time I almost booked a flight down to see Cam Katsky and serve him a nice little Rousseau-style knuckle sandwich. Some of his comments, commentary about this film. <laughs> this is the yeah. this is the dynamic that our listeners enjoy, though. So, what can I say? I don't know. You know, <laughs> at first I wasn't going to watch it because it was so goddamn long. Now I feel I don't want to watch it just on principle, just to be a heel. <laughs> yeah. and, I, I, and I respect. I that, acknowledge actually. this has not always worked out well for me. <laughs> yeah, I gotta stick to the bit. I acknowledge this has backfired for me in my life. I did it with Breaking Bad for years and I ended up watching Breaking Bad as I remember talking about I told you about and talked about on this show I watched it for the first time last year and fucking loved it it's great <laughs> it's the the best TV show I've ever seen I'm confident I am not going to have that similar regret with Avatar 2 so I'm just I'm doubling down not watching it I'm sticking my you know I'm I'm sticking my to my guns here it would be really funny if you just watched it one night and really enjoyed it but then just because you couldn't admit it you just continued to pose as an avatar hater meanwhile you have like this merch and stuff and you're at home and like watching it and marking out when the the Navi pick up the fight against the RDA forces you know and meanwhile you're like no I hate it what are you talking about yeah you actually Jordan actually sent me an incredible <laughs> <laughs> avatar themed t-shirt from etsy the other day that i actually am going to cop is just tremendous i'm just picturing you in your apartment though with, with the avatar shirt Are watching it to? being like oh i think so i think i have to have it yeah it's just it's phenomenal i i ordered a shirt from that same etsy uh creator seller whatever you want to call them uh it's like these like really ostentatious like airbrushed you know 90s walmart yeah. style t-shirts that they do for different athletes but they also have some for uh, uh, film and TV characters. And I got a Mika Zabanajad New York Rangers one that arrived. I have to pick it up. Uh, it, it, it's delivered to my building. I am so fucking pumped. So if you get the Avatar one, once you get yours in, we'll have to wear them uh, yeah, on an episode so check. you can also see 
how ridiculous these shirts are. Yeah. Well, let's let's get to yeah. our in, uh, interview with Frank Capello of uh, Movies versus Capitalism. Again, just to remind folks one more time that if you want to hear uh, the bonus content, uh, the bonus episode from this week featuring Ryan Broderick, uh, simply head on over to theinsurgents.substack.com and subscribe. Become a paid intern to the Insurgents podcast. Get access to that episode as well as the dozens of other uh, really great episodes, bonus episodes that we produced over the last couple of years. And um, I think that's everything. Everything we're ready to bring on, uh, Frank? Let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Frank Capello is going to be joining the program right after this. small talk um well i kind of i kind of already before we started rolling talking about my little vacation there and my my son's fixation on not only swimming in hotel pools but throwing me in the pool um which is just he's out muscles yeah yeah, exactly he's very he's deceptively (laughs) strong um but that's all that's all. i mean i already kind of talked about this so i don't want to just repeat the same things i was just saying before we turned the mic on and then have you guys go oh, yeah and you were trying to recreate the same you know that doesn't work but that's all i had a we nice can. little vacation uh i appreciate jordan that you covered for me i do have to remind our listeners though that the non-rob episode is not official canon of the podcast <laughs> it's kind of like bonus content you know it's kind of an offshoot no i think uh, it's- yeah we got we got thousands of emails, thousands. <laughs> Whatever you guys are doing, saying this is my Keep favorite episode yeah. of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> love, love this love new this host. Episode. Who's this new guy? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Uh, it's going to be but, rough for people who that was their first episode, and then when they get to this yeah. one, they'll be like, what is oh, this? "This, I yeah. don't like this." Actually, yeah. set mm-hmm. the bar way too high. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's all it's all downhill from here. And, Who's this Canadian uh, you know, dude? On that front, Frank Capello is joining us. <laughs> this is America, damn it! Frank is the host. I thought, I thought, I thought this was an American <laughs> podcast. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Frank Capello, you are the host of the new podcast, Movies versus Capitalism. You're joining us today. Uh, Frank, before we get started with our our interviews, we ask everybody the same question so we know who we're dealing with. It's a tough one. It's very serious. So, you know, take time to think about it. There's no rush. But Frank Capello, are you a gamer? Okay, so (laughs) I knew this question was coming. I listened to I'm a I'm a I'm a pod bro. I'm a pod supporter (laughs) of you guys. I knew this question was coming, so I want to. I've got an answer. It's not a satisfactory answer, I don't think. So I, I'm not like a gamer. I don't think by like modern standards. Like I don't regularly game. Um, I did grow up with like, you know, all, I was a Nintendo kid. Yeah. So all of like NES, Super NES, 64, GameCube, Wii, Switch, all that shit. Um, big like Mario kid all that jazz um but then like once gaming sort of like really started centering on first person shooters i kind of 
that's where I was like, I'm, I, I'm not, I can't, I'm not going fully on board with this. Uh, so, so that's kind of where my gaming journey ended. But I do still buy and play every Zelda game that comes out. So I am very excited for Tears of the Kingdom that's coming out in a couple months on the Switch. That definitely counts. Oh yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would kind of like to get a Switch. I've never, I've never been really a Nintendo guy. I had the, I had the original NES in the eighties, the late eighties, but then I was a Genesis guy, and then I became a Sony guy. I got the PlayStation one, two, three, four, and I've never had a Nintendo system after that. Okay, well, I do have an old used sixty-four. That's not totally true, but the Switch seems kind of in, intriguing. I'm kind of intrigued by the Switch. I think I would, I've, I'm, I've been considering for a while taking the plunge into the switch universe it's a it's a the nintendo systems are good like party systems like when you're having like a bunch of friends over they i feel like they maybe have some of the best games for like big groups you know like i still i still get down on like a mario kart here and there or like a mario party you know that's always a fun time if you're with four or five friends and yeah the switch is good for that i think yeah yeah absolutely uh i I am in awe. I think I've talked about it before, but I'm in awe of the Steam Deck. I just got that about a month or so ago, and it, it's similar in size to to the Switch. And I, I have I have a Switch as well, but I just haven't played it as much as I thought I was going to because I've never really been a Zelda person. And outside of the main Mario universe of games, I've got Mario Odyssey and Smash and Mario Kart. That's like all I've ever played it for. Uh, but man, the Steam Deck is just probably quickly becoming one of my favorite consoles ever, what, even though it's a handheld. Is, what is the Steam Deck? I don't even know what this is. It is like, you know, Steam for PC gaming. It's just that in oh, your hand. Okay. So you could play all your PC games on the go and it's just spectacular. I'm just, it's amazing. I, I think it's so fucking cool. I think whether you're talking about the Steam Deck or the Switch, for me, the big appeal is gaming while lying down. I think that's really appealing to me at this stage of my life. Dude. You know? I think I would really like yes. that. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> there have been so many moments, uh, especially over the past several years, where I've been playing something and just thinking, like, I don't want to sit up. Yeah. <laughs> my back hurts. <laughs> I'm, I've been sitting in a chair all day from work. I want to be in my bed. But I also want to play a AAA title. That's How right. do I do that? And this is the now solution. You have the answer. Yeah. Uh, so Frank, we're relieved to hear you are a gamer, yeah. and we thought, what better time for you to come on than now? You have a new podcast uh, out with the lever called Movies versus Capitalism, where you break down movies every week through an anti-capitalist lens, and the Oscars are just around the corner. So before we get into the conversation around film and Hollywood and the Oscars, could you give people a preview uh, or an, an explanation of what Movies versus Capitalism is, where they can find it, and what they can expect on the show? Well, thank you, Jordan. That was a lovely introduction. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so <laughs> Movies versus Capitalism, uh, hosted by myself and uh, my dear friend Rivka Rivera, uh, the two of us went to theater school together. We both majored in acting. Um, she's still an actor, a playwright, and uh, an educator. And I sort of went the comedy writer route in Hollywood. Anyway, we reconvened these many years later to do the show, which is, like you said, it's a movie rewatch podcast. The two of us plus a guest. The guest chooses a movie for us to watch. 
And then we discuss the movie's politics, uh, specifically how they relate to capitalism, if they do. Um, Yeah, and like you said, through an anti-capitalist lens. And, you know, we try to make it as fun and accessible as possible. You know, we want it to be like sort of an entry point for people. We don't, we're not like, it's not a show about like, this is why you can't like this movie anymore. Like that, we we were from the jump, we were like, we don't want to do that show. That show sucks. Um, so yeah, so we try to have fun with it while also like kind of extrapolating a movie's politics, especially when you would like when a movie's politics aren't very, uh, in your face. Like our first episode, we did Ghostbusters with David Sirota, um, which was great because it's like, oh, the Ghostbusters was just like a zany comedy. And then you dig into it and you're like, oh no, wait, this is like, this is the story of like small business owners versus the Yeah, it's so, it's such a Reaganite movie. (laughs) Like that's like very Reagan, very Reagan. Um, So yeah, so we've been having fun. We've been released uh, about like five or six episodes so far and began a good response. Check it out. Available everywhere. On all major I'm always interested players. in hearing those discussions, you know, and, and I agree that I think it's really like not really helpful for anyone to be to like wag your finger at people for enjoying certain films. Like Ghostbusters one of my, was my favorite film growing up. And it's very, it's very interesting. I think when you become older, you become more aware of like class analysis or politics of these things. And you can sort of revisit these movies and see them in this totally different lens. And I think it's really important to, even if you enjoy that stuff, still recognize the ways that it is working on you or it's uh, even when that's happening, you know, on a subtle level. Um, like I love a lot of that eighties kind of action movie Schwarzenegger stuff. Uh, you know, you realize you look back on it now and it's like, you see these like heroic, you know, Western action heroes just mowing down like gorillas in these like Latin American countries and stuff. Um, while, you know, the Reagan government was deeply implicated in doing just that. And it's kind of, probably celebrated in that way um it doesn't mean those movies aren't fun or enjoyable but i think it's really important to understand like if it is propaganda what is it trying to say and i think if you understand that then you can enjoy it and you don't have to feel this kind of guilt about it so i'm glad that folks like you are are having those conversations i'm always really interested in that yeah i think being able to be critical about something while still enjoying it is like a very fun experience and i think it's a good skill for people to have and and i always find it ironic that the people who get like upset about like i don't know cancel culture like people that are too they're like you just don't get it man it's like no you you don't get it and that's (laughs) like that's the sad part and like i'm honestly enjoying i'm enjoying it over here you're the one that is now upset (laughs) stop yelling at me you know like (laughs) uh the the trailer for the show mentioned uh you've got mail you mentioned a couple movies in the trailer you (laughs) one of the things you said was it was really well done you talked about how jurassic park and charlie and the chocolate factory are the same movie and then you mentioned you got mail as like some psychotic like thriller and i recently just i watched you've got it has been stuck in my mind since i saw the trailer for your show so my partner and i watched you've got mail we've been on this romantic uh, comedy kick which also resulted in us watching when harry met sally for the first time both of us ever oh wow. honestly movie fucking yeah, rocks awesome. like still Dude, so good it's fantastic the best romantic comedy <laughs> then we watched it good. is. I think it is. It's so good that movie manages to make Billy Crystal hot. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> Not an easy task. Young, yeah. The young Billy Crystal scene, the college scene. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's 
He's handsome. Yeah. I, he, he could get it. Yeah. <laughs> I take no pleasure in reporting this. Watched You've Got Mail. When he's hot in that movie. <laughs> I'll admit it. He's fine. He's fine. We watched You've Got Mail because it's been stuck in my head since I saw the trailer for Frank's podcast. And holy shit, what a demented movie. Yeah. Uh, Frank, I, w- I want you to explain it because you've thought about it more than I have. This is my first time seeing it. But like, talk about how fucked up this movie is. I remember being like really highly publicized when it came out and people loved it. I, it was a big hit when it came out and it was like, it, it was, it was huge at the time. We actually, it sucks. We recorded a, you've got mail episode. The audio got messed up. So we had to scrap it. We're going to do it again later, but it's like fresh in my mind. So like the whole like presaging the internet thing was huge at that time, but it was also still like, not a lot of people were using the internet. So it kind of really popularized AOL. Um, but the premise of the movie is absolutely bonkers. It's like <laughs> Tom Hanks's character basically like is the scion of Barnes and Noble. Like he like runs, <laughs> he's like his dad started Barnes and Noble. Meg Ryan's character runs a children's bookshop on the Upper West Side that she inherited from her mother so this new like Fox books is opening up around the corner. It's threatening to put her out of business. Meanwhile, they are, uh, <laughs> they have met each other anonymously online in a chat room. And so they had, they now have like this budding friendship, romantic pen pal online relationship that's growing while in real life, they are like contesting one another because his shop is going to put her shop out of business the movie goes on. It's crazy. And then at a certain point, Tom Hanks discovers that she is who she is. Like, he's like, oh, you are the secret per You, the person that I've been talking to online. Um, she doesn't know this. So then he spends the second half of the movie manipulating her in real life while his, <laughs> while his giant conglomerate bookstore is, is taking away her livelihood. <laughs> it's so fucking it's one of the most ridiculous premises. Like if anyone other than Tom Hanks was playing that character, you would be like, Oh, this is a psychopath. This is a full blown, like sight, like absolute psycho. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah. And then he puts her out of business and, uh, and then she finds out that he was lying the whole time. And she was like, it doesn't matter. I love you because you were, we, cause you're Tom Hanks. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it's really it's really like a psychological thriller about like the effects of market consolidation. Uh, it's really wild. Yeah, and I mean this is like the same core unit from Sleepless in Seattle too. It's Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, and Nora Ephron. And like I thought, we also just watched that recently for the first time. Kind of cute, but also like really weird. And the the roles that they've cast Meg Ryan in for in both of those roles, she's like kind of pathetic in both movies she's cheating and in both movies she's like desperately clinging to some kind of like shitty guy (laughs) like it's in sleepless in seattle he's like kind of a prick granted he's got a lot of baggage but she's like desperately writing him these letters 
this guy she never because she heard him on the radio and then this one she's like yeah you put me out of business but i'm still in love with you like no fuck fuck this guy he's a psycho and then if she finds she finds out like later on the very very end and there's this cute scene in the park where she's just like fawning over him when she realizes it was him all along the guy who just shut down your store the only way that could have been worse is if as like an olive branch he just integrated her children's book section into theirs or she like worked at the company and ran the children's book section that could have been a worse outcome yeah it's it it's it's messaging on like it's messaging on like the way that small businesses get pushed out by these giant company companies gets very obscured by the ending and then there's like a scene where she goes into the big bookstore and she's like oh this is actually really lovely and it's like yeah. it's like christmas time and you're supposed to i as the audience you feel like are, are you on the side of the Barnes and Noble? Yeah. Like, is that where this movie's coming from? It's very, it's very strange. Well, and this is exactly why I prefer yeah. of the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan rom-com trilogy. I prefer the much less heralded Joe versus the volcano. Another interesting film that has also an interesting kind of class analysis as well. <laughs> I, I love that one. Although I haven't seen it in quite a while, but written by uh, famed playwright, John Patrick Shanley, Joe versus the volcano is, which is a weird yeah. tidbit that is forever lodged in my brain. Meg Ryan plays two roles in that, actually. But yeah, I think I... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, but there's something... It's a two like, to force there, performance. A, it's a common trope in <laughs> in 90s and 2000 rom-coms that the two leads are usually, like, genuinely shitty people. Like, they're either, like, cheating or they're lying to one another. Like, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, perfect example. That's just, like, two people who are, like... Oh, I'm gonna lie and manipulate this other. I'm gonna lie to and manipulate this other person, and that is my entire character arc. Yeah. And like, and despite that, we will fall in love, even though we are deeply flawed, pretty much psychotic. People. <laughs> we're literally engaging in abusive behavior, which we're meant to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. I just really like in Joe versus the volcano. Uh, just that it's got a really uh, stark portrayal of this kind of capitalist alienation that I will always remember, even though I haven't seen the film in a long time, but Tom Hanks at the beginning of that film is just so beaten down by the cubicle nine to five fluorescent lights lifestyle that he's just completely lost all will to live. It's a very powerful, I think, uh, depiction of that kind of alienation for a, for a, a lighthearted romantic comedy about a guy who agrees to jump in a volcano. Uh-huh. I don't remember it that specifically. It's been a long time since I've seen Joe versus the Volcano. I did not, ter- I did not open this podcast had, planning I, actually, to go on a pro Joe versus the Volcano rant. I don't know where this is coming from, but yes. No, I'm not I'm not surprised because we've had uh, like listeners, you know, people are like now commenting like, do this movie. And a few people have said Joe versus the Volcano. So there's clearly something there. Something there, yeah. But it sounds like it's giving uh, like some office space vibes, which – to me, that's actually going to be yeah. our episode next week. Tune in. Um, that's, I mean, one of the best depictions yeah. of worker alienation in modern cinema. I mean, that's like, and it still holds up. My God, it is so sterile in such a brutal way. Um, yeah. And extremely movie. funny also. Extremely funny. Um, definitely some problematic shit in there. You know, like like every movie made prior to four years ago uh yeah <laughs> but you know but but you you know you, you recognize it and you're like oh you know wouldn't do that today but we could still enjoy it yeah. uh i think we're on the books for sometime this month 
to do oh yeah uh, the social network which is one of my favorite movies of all yeah. time uh and just going to be really fun to chop it up with with you and Rivka. I can't wait for that. So, yeah, please go. We'll, I like I like doing the intros at the beginning because that's when people are listening the most. Mm-hmm. So please subscribe to Movies versus Capitalism. It is it's a fantastic show. Frank's a great uh, host and producer. You you won't be disappointed. Um, but on on the film front, the Oscars is this Sunday. And there are a few things that we we wanted to discuss. Now, I want to save kind of the, the prognostication and predictions for what uh, what's going to do well. And we also want to break down a, a movie with you. But as it relates to news and international relations, oddly enough, um, there's a story I sent you both today. Zelensky... Or Zelensky's agent, rather, sent a request to the Oscars asking for him to make an address to the, you know, to the audience and ultimately to people watching the broadcast. The Oscars denied that request. And as I was talking to you earlier today about it, I, I really can't help but think this is, you know, also part of their strategy is to go to all these film festivals and awards and ask for the same thing. He wants to make addresses at all, all the big ones. He's been asking film festivals. He's talked to some of them. And the plea is always, we need more support. Thank, you know, thanking people for their support and solidarity, but also making the case for more military aid. Now, I want to hear both of your thoughts on this because I don't, I, I don't want to speak for, for all of us, but my first reaction was good that they said no. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if both of you felt the same way and what you make of this strategy of making pleas to Hollywood or various segments of the entertainment world for military aid and what his motive is. Um, I mean, I think, you know, we know that Zelensky is a former comedian and actor, so I think he's just setting himself up for the pivot after... <laughs> After the war concludes, I think he's just trying to get himself in front of, you know, as many industry eyeballs as possible. Get that Netflix contract. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, No, I mean, we were talking and we were talking about this earlier. And this is the second year that the Oscars have denied him this opportunity to speak. So, yeah, I guess kudos to the Oscars for not just like buying in (laughs) uncritically to war propaganda. I would be kind of dubious as to like what their intentions were in that. I don't think it's strictly, I don't think the Oscar producers were like, you know, I think we actually should be thinking about the impact of this proxy war and whether or not we want to support. Like, I don't think they had that conversation. I think they were just like, our ratings have been going down for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, war fatigue is real, especially right now. Um, I was just, did a little research into just like support for the war in January. Pew did a poll um, that 40% of Republicans said we're giving too much aid up from 9% in March of last year. And the Dems only 15% are saying we're giving too much aid. So this is definitely, so I guess like Republican voters are now are, are more fed up with this war than democratic voters are. So I think, Zelensky, I think they all know like this is the audience for them right now because like I guess the the Democrats are the ones that are going to be really 
pushing for more aid. Yeah. What do, what do you, yeah. What do you think, Rob? Well, my thoughts and prayers are with Sean Penn at this dis- difficult time. Uh, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure he had to be physically restrained uh, from, you know, uh, when he heard the news. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think anyone that listens to this show or follows my the commentary that I do here on or on Twitter or Twitch or wherever knows my feelings about uh, whether we should be continuing to pump arms into Ukraine and uh, that I don't really think that that's a thing that's having an, an impact towards positively resolving things and stopping the war, ending the war, which I think what as peace people that promote peace, people that are in the anti-war movement should be is a goal that we should have. Uh, prolonging it and turning it into this like endless quagmire, I think has always been kind of a, a recipe for disaster for everyone that lives in Ukraine. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a good thing. And, and it's also kind of funny that he's being rebuked in front of this kind of audience that I think would be uh, really receptive, overall, mostly pretty receptive to that message. Um, and yeah, I think it's like the Oscars is such kind of a weird political um, mix too in Hollywood in general, where you have a lot of kind of Hollywood actors who will oftentimes latch onto these kinds of uh, initiatives, but not always have a very clear understanding or analysis of what's going on. I remember a really formative moment for me was when Michael Moore won that Oscar for Bowling for Columbine right at the beginning of the Iraq war. And there was a few people during that award ceremony that were making anti-war statements, but Michael Moore used uh, to his great credit. I'll always uh, respect Michael Moore a lot for, doing this, uh, using that moment to advocate against the war and to denounce uh, the George W. Bush administration. It was in that it was a political climate, as you do remember, that was not very friendly to that kind of a message in the years following um, 9-11. And after the when the drumbeat and the sort of propaganda campaign to manufacture consent for that war was kind of in full effect. And uh, I remember he was like booed by a lot of people in the audience at that time while he was making that statement. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's overall been kind of a weird and incoherent mix of political beliefs. I'm I mean it would have been painful to look at whatever uh video package Zelensky had to air for that thing, so I'm I'm glad they're not doing it, but again, my prayers are with Sean Penn at this time. I know he's probably very upset about this. <laughs> uh yeah, didn't he say last year he was going to melt his Oscar uh if they didn't allow yeah. Zelensky to speak? Something like that. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, don't yeah. please, no, please, please don't. Sean. Anything with that? <laughs> actually, actually, yeah, I would love to see Sean Penn like do some smelting in his own home. Yeah, like, like, like I want to see that. I want to see that go really wrong for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the audience front, it just we have to acknowledge the way American consumers, Americans in general, and film viewers have been subject to decades and decades of war propaganda in our movies. And this is something we've certainly talked about a lot on this show. The, you know, the jingoism in our pop culture is rampant and it frames people that we deem as, you know, the good guys, which is in our films, always the United States. And in this case, you could see it, how it's, framed as very clearly Ukraine. And you have to acknowledge, yes, Russia invaded and they've been the aggressor here. But the response from the media, from the commentary class, from whoever, the response to this has been totally different than any other conflict 
over the past several years. And you look at our role in invading Yemen. No, there was nothing like the outpouring of support for people in Yemen who are still suffering. And we're helping the Saudis do this. And it's the way that we have framed war in our pop culture that makes this audience so uniquely situated to be receptive to his type of messaging. I'm I'm actually shocked that they said no. Because it's a very easy political statement to make. The Oscars producer said they didn't want to get involved in politics. We're trying to keep it out of it. But you both have acknowledged, yeah, they've talked about these types of things before. Recipients have talked about it before. It's a big opportunity to make political statements, whether it's anti-war, you know, general messages around equality and equity, climate change, things like that. Performers and recipients have done this all the time. And... I'm I'm surprised because of how propagandized Americans are that they didn't just say yes. I'm relieved they didn't because we need to be pushing for more diplomacy, not sending more uh, you know, munitions, ammo, funding there. We have to have a strong push for diplomacy. A couple of weeks ago, we talked with Eric um, Sperling from Just Foreign Policy about, you know, several months later, after that progressive letter got pushed back and and ultimately withdrawn, we still don't have a robust push in Washington around diplomacy. And the longer we wait and the more arms and money we send to Ukraine, the more people are going to be displaced, hurt, or in some cases die. Because that it's not just going to, it's not a one-sided conflict in reality. It's not just Ukraine fighting off successfully uh, Russian uh, attacks and invasions. People get caught in the horrors of war. Their lives are permanently altered. Their lives are upended. Some people die. You know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced. And we don't see that because the way war is portrayed in film is so often sterilized. And it gives these people, especially in, in, in other forms of pop culture, it gives people a warped impression of war. You really truly don't understand just how horrific it is. And the sensationalism in war movies ultimately make these things, even if they're trying to be critical, pro-war pieces of media. And this is all to say, again, that I'm just very, very surprised that they said no because of how pervasive military propaganda is in in film. Yeah, I I, I agree with everything you just said. I just also want to add that you know, the fact that the Oscars have come under fire repeatedly for the last several years, you know, like hashtag Oscars so white for the last few years, and they've been under the microscope and Hollywood itself has been under the microscope. It's, you know, in addition with like the Me Too movement. Um, So I imagine someone did the cost benefit analysis and it was just like, you know what? It's probably better if we don't dip our toes into, into this one. Um, let's just avoid the criticism. Let's just avoid uh, all of the, the, the partisan shit. Like let's avoid getting picked up by Fox news, whatever it is. Um, although I guess you could also make the other argument that that would, that could, could potentially boost their ratings, which, you know, it's like, and these are the conversations that people have in those rooms. Um, but yeah, it's it's it is surprising, especially like Jordan. We were talking earlier just about how like this is this conflict in Ukraine has really been framed, especially by like corporate media, as like 
a good war, as a virtuous war for people who still wholeheartedly believe that like America is the good guy and other people are the bad guys. So like what we do is inherently good. And like you said, it's just so much more complicated than that. And like the human cost is so truly devil. It's unfathomable to people who just kind of like armchair quarterback war, you know, like I've got, I got family members who we talk about like occasionally we went into foreign policy shit and they're just like, they should just fucking bomb them. And I'm like, you like <laughs> yeah. the, the detachment you have from being able to make that statement is so surreal to me. And the fact that you don't recognize that is like, it's honestly very upsetting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's always very, yeah, disturbing to me when you have people so passionately who like random people that live in like Canada or the U S being so adamant about like, no, we cannot ever surrender this Ukrainian village that I just heard of two weeks ago to the, with the Russian orc horde that I have no connection to whatsoever that I will never visit in my life. And you know, it's like this, the, yeah, like you said, the total disconnection of it. Um, and yeah, like I said, I think, I think I've been, it's been one of my main sources of criticism over the last year. And one of my main sources of frustration is just the utter, utter inability of people in Canada and the U S to, acknowledge the role that we played in escalating that conflict and the role that we've played in continuing to escalate it over the last year. That's been a source of frustration for me. We would never, if someone was going to suggest that, uh, hey, should we air some kind of a video package advocating for uh, the rights of Palestinians to engage in armed struggle against the Israeli apartheid government? I think everyone would understand that like, no, the Oscars is not going to be doing that. Um, so I think if that's the case, then it's a good thing that they're not uh, doing the same thing with Ukraine, which is something that we've seen a lot of on our, in our media over the last year. This kind of unquestioned idea that that people that are being invaded in this way have this absolute right to defend themselves. But we see where this gets applied and where it gets uh, the people don't aren't, aren't worthy of this same kind of uh, right or privilege. You know. Well, and a major through line with both, you know, the with both the Israeli occupation of Palestine and uh, the war in Yemen that you both mentioned is that there is a level of American complicity in both of those situations, which is it doesn't make for a clean narrative. It doesn't make for a clean drama because that's, you know, that is really how these that's really how war is framed by a lot of corporate media outlets is like this is like this is. The, this is the drama of the century. Putin is the villain, and like we are the 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 virtuous Americans trying to save the innocent Ukrainians. Um, and it's really disgusting, yeah. honestly, the way that these the way that these narratives are. Yeah, framed. and it, it, like like the work you do on your podcast. Like if you've been raised on a steady diet of Western films, especially war films, over the course of your life, there's a reason that people believe that. You know, there's a reason that. You know, the State Department and the CIA and the intelligence community is deeply implicated in Hollywood and funding these movies and providing uh, resources to these films that are making these uh, these kind of narratives and promoting these kind of narratives. There's a reason they do that. It's so people that have a steady diet of these films end up having this kind of very myopic black and white understanding of geopolitical affairs where America is like the superhero uh, that we need that is always on the side of good and the side of justice and this stuff. Um, It's actually been a, a an interesting shift to to 
follow along with. Um, Cause after the end of Vietnam, there was a lot of skepticism about that idea. And in Hollywood, there was a lot of room to make films that were critical of the military and critical of the intelligence community. And then there got to this point in the eighties, like in that Reagan era, I think top gun was a big turning point of this where that kind of like went away and it kind of went returned to this kind of very jingoistic uh, black and white portrayal of American military power um, and I think that's only kind of increased over time to where we are now. And uh, that's why I think people have that very uh, distorted view of America's role in the world. That's exactly why I love films such as Avatar, The Way of Water, which does push back on this idea and correctly frames <laughs> no, wait. Western imperialism <laughs> as being the ultimate evil. And that's something that needs to be uh, uh, fought against uh, violently if if necessary. Problem. I am with you yes. on this one. Um, the, the 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 thing that both Avatar films incredibly achieve is by the end of each of them, you're like, yeah, kill those fucking U.S. Army soldiers. <laughs> exactly. Like absolutely, like fucking, saying. like get get their asses. Yeah. Yes. And, Thank and you. you know what? Like, yeah. Look, look. I also have like I have my gripes with the Avatar series, but I didn't say that. Someone else was like. You know, for like a completely original piece of IP that is like highly critical of like the U.S. imperial corporate apparatus that also features like, I guess, whatever, like a made up indigenous species. And like, it's also about like ecological devastation that is also makes a billion dollars. That's honestly pretty tight. And I was like, it is fair. That's fine. Yeah. Thank you. Finally, an avatar enjoyer coming on this program. (laughs) I think it. Jordan's been deliberately programming this show with Avatar (laughs) haters, specifically to get under my skin. We don't need to name names, but it's been very difficult over the last couple of months. So I appreciate that, Frank. Yeah, man, I get it. You, you're you're all about the Navi. Yeah. You're here to support them. Exactly. You're, you're a Blue Lives Matter yeah, guy. I am. You know? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yes, Rob is a Blue Lives Matter yeah. guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone knows this about me. I mean, I mean, it's true though. I mean, there's there's scenes like in the first Avatar movie where I think it gets across on this visceral level and in this new film, but it gets across on this visceral level. Like, you know, 9-11 and the emotions that Americans experience seeing this kind of devastation. This is what we do to other cultures around the world all the time. And like, it really gets that across. And it's really, it's the only kind of mainstream blockbuster film that's willing to kind of like make this case to people that this is the kind of violence and destruction that we bring to, um, other nations and other cultures in the name of, uh, you know, our endless sort of global hegemony and in the name of like extractive capitalism, settler yeah. colonialism and all these things. That's why I love, that's why I'm a, a James Cameron watch... fanboy. Ride or die. There's a line in, <laughs> uh, to speak to that exact point that like it does. I, it, I do really appreciate when that, when like a non hegemonic, perspective kind of creeps through popular culture like there's a one of my favorite lines in ted lasso is i think it's in the first season he has a bunch of little like you know just army men that he got from home like his kids sent him and he's like giving them out to his players and he's like this reminds me of home and he gives it to like one of his players who i think is like from kenya and he's like i'm actually not gonna take this because i have a very different relationship with the american military than you do and it <laughs> and ted lasso's like oh you know what you're right sorry about that like <laughs> so it it, 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 it sometimes creeps its yeah. way through. That's great. Well, I'm hoping hoping to see some Oscar success from Avatar. I think I think Jim, 
Iron Jim was unjustly denied a Best Director uh, nomination there. I think if it got nominated for Best Picture and all the awards accolades it got in terms of and all in terms of the box office success, I think you got to give Jim the nod for Best Director, but unfortunately it wasn't. So I will be boycotting as a result of this injustice, but <laughs> hoping to see some Avatar success. I'm, it'll win visual effects. It's got to, right? Well, yeah, it's it's far and away better than visual visually effects. superior to be basically anything that's coming out right now. Like it makes the Marvel films look like absolute low budget TV schlock. Like it's just completely operating on a whole different level on that on that front. I'm laying it on a little I mean, thick now. I'm really tech- kind of going crazy on this. <laughs> yeah, he invents technology every time he makes one of these movies. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm making another Avatar. I guess I have to revolutionize uh, yeah. cinematic hardware. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I love him. Um, I mean, do either of you have? Do either of you have picks for best picture? I'll tell the one movie that I will like lose my mind if it wins because I hated it so much was the Banshees of Inshirin. I could not fucking stand that movie. It was so, I I don't know, man. I just don't, I could not believe that movie. It was fine. It was like a perfectly fine movie. Like it felt very similar, like pacing wise as the lobster. And, uh, I liked that movie. Uh, Colin Farrell. I like him. I like him. His performance was good. Holy shit, like watching that movie, all I could think about was like, how the fuck is this nominated for Best Picture? Uh, I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I, yeah, I liked it a lot. I'm also a huge uh, Martin McDonough fan, the writer-director who was a, who started as a playwright, and his his theater work is fucking phenomenal. But, um, I mean, there's 10 nominees, so like, sure, it makes it in. Uh I yeah I I don't I wouldn't love to see a Banshees win I didn't for me it wasn't like the top achievement of the year I'm I'm team everything everywhere all at once as of now we'll see if that changes between now and the telecast on Sunday but <laughs> yeah I, that was a real achievement uh, in my eyes and we when we'll get into it in a little bit but yeah that's my my pick for best pick yeah. Rob, what's yours? I liked Banshees of Inshirin. Um, Other than Avatar. <laughs> um, it was very depressing. It was very depressing, <laughs> although, it, but it, it struck an interesting balance of being kind of darkly comic. You know, it still was kind of entertaining while also simultaneously being uh, extremely grim to to watch it play out. I think some interesting kind of subtext about, you know, the Ireland and the Civil War that was going on at the time as well. Uh, under the surface, like the performances, yeah, I just I didn't see enough of the fil- the main films this year that are nominated to really make a pick. I would love an Avatar win, like I said. I don't think we're going to see that. Um, I yeah, I haven't seen a lot of the the major films, so I can't really comment on it. I do think the way that the buzz is shaping up and the way that the narrative is shaping up that probably everything, everywhere, all at once will win Best Picture. And I don't know if you want to pivot to talking about that now. But that's probably what I think will happen. I might have a, some slightly controversial or contrarian stances on that, but we can we can explore that when we get oh in boy. there. Yeah, I, we we can. That's the movie I want to win. I loved it, but I would not be upset if Tar won because I really thought that was great. I loved that movie. Um, yeah, Tar. And was I'm really looking forward dope. to a. a I'm looking forward to a movies versus capitalism episode on Tar because it was just so good. Uh, yeah, Tar was very good. Um, 
little dry, a little long, like a very like a very moody picture, but a real sure. like Todd Field makes a movie like every like eight years, and they're always fuck like amazing. Um, and yeah. she and Kate uh, Blanchett is so good in in it. She's great. She's yeah. so good in it. Tar could sneak through. Elvis could sneak through. Like the the Academy has a really terrible history of being like, oh, like uh, like a horrendous biopic about a famous musician. You win all of the awards. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> um, and I think there's like something in the voting system where like people like it's like ranked choice. So it's possible that if like the votes are split on something like between everything or all, and like Banshees or something that like everyone's second place pick gets through. I've heard that before. I don't know how true that is. So honestly, anything could happen. Tune in this Sunday, 8 p.m. <laughs> 7 central. <laughs> That's right. We'll also be doing a, a live chat on Substack for our subscribers, our beloved paid interns. We have a we have a system here, uh, uh, Frank, where if you subscribe to the show, five bucks a month, you become a paid That's intern. Right. Wow! So it's a pretty good deal. You get a, you get two episodes a week instead of one, and you get the the distinction of of paid intern status. Put it on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> they're paying to be our interns. Yeah, they're, they're, they're paying yeah. to be interns. That's yeah. a valuable that experience. Sense. Absolutely. Yeah, that's how <laughs> yeah. we do it here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's get into uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I loved this movie uh, when I saw it. I actually, I as soon as I finished, I thought, "Oh, I got to watch that again. That was so good." There's stuff I'm sure I've missed, but I haven't actually done it. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to try to do it this weekend in advance of Sunday. Uh, but Frank, why don't you take the lead here? But this is so people get a taste of what they can expect on movies versus capitalism. Take us through how you would break down a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once. Sure, sure. Well, usually we would have like some pretty some fairly extensive research, which I don't right now. So that that's sure, it's sure. out the it's out the window. That part, the first ten minutes, it's gone. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean I I really loved this movie so much i i saw this back in i don't know like april may whenever it first came out before like the buzz had really caught on and i had heard like a little bit like oh this movie's pretty wild and i was just so blown away by it the first time i saw like i literally left the theater and i was like that might be one of the best movies i've ever seen um like not exaggerating I, i i i didn't find the movie to be like inherently too political um i think like the most the most political it gets and sort is sort of like depicting the like the working class immigrant experience in the family and especially their um their conflict with uh <laughs> with Jamie Lee Curtis's character who's like yeah. the what is she like an auditor the kind of bureau- um, bureaucracy the IRS yeah. agent the yeah. IRS auditor yeah yeah the bureaucracy of like the IRS and she's like this you know horrific white woman like bullying this you know this immigrant family so there's like that political messaging in it but other than that i wouldn't say it's like you know it doesn't fit neatly into our anti-capitalist framework in the for our podcast which is fine because we don't it's that doesn't a movie doesn't have to have like strict like it doesn't have to be commenting on capitalism but i mean i just thought it was a beautiful movie about the human experience and it really like made me feel all of the feels it's just like 
dissecting familial relationships between mother and daughter, you know, husband and wife, mother and father, uh, you know, the, the family as a whole. And then also just like the highs and lows of human existence from bleak depression to like elation and how just how it's all included in this universally experienced life and existence that we go through. And it's, and it's like an assault on the senses in uh, a beautiful marriage of style and substance. Cause usually you get a lot of, usually movies that are that like heavily visually are it's like a lot of style, not a lot of substance. Um, but this really had like the heart beating at the the center of it, which really like I thought tied it all together and performance is great. I could keep, I could keep going, but what, what were you, what were your guys's, uh, <laughs> What were your takes? First of all, it's a little bit tricky to talk about because this movie also like developed a kind of really rabid fan base that kind of like gets very angry at people whenever they say that they weren't as into the movie. Um, so it's kind of weirdly controversial on that level to to talk about it. I think, Frank, like a lot of the stuff that you're describing, I really liked about it. Um, this portrayal of the working class immigrant experience I thought was really fantastic. Um, the story of this kind of family and the way this kind of like generational sort of trauma is passed down and the idea of reconciliation and growth and stuff. I thought, I thought stuff was really great. Um, I guess where it didn't work for me and I, I realized I'm in the minority on this was just in the way that it felt kind of like two movies. It had this kind of serious aspect, which I really connected to again, loved the cast, loved the performances um, visually really stunning but all of the kind of wacky, random sci-fi stuff and the whole Matrix or Jet Li, the one story, felt it felt like uh, two two totally conflicting movies that were kind of clashing with one another. And I I found myself wanting to stay more just in a, in a drama about this kind of like this immigrant, this working class immigrant family and their struggles against this bureaucracy and their struggles to stay together. And I thought a lot of the kind of wacky science fiction elements kind of took away from that. And the kind of and, and that's it. I think this is just a matter of personal taste, but just the kind of like wacky, kind of random Reddit Rick and Morty stuff. Just that part of it didn't really land for me. The hot dog fingers and all that. It was it was. I kind of chuckled at it, but overall, it didn't feel like a cohesive thing to me. I really connected to that one part of it, and whenever it got into the crazy fighting and science fiction stuff and stuff about parallel parallel dimensions, that's when I kind of checked out. So it's not a super. It's not that contrary of a take. I over. I enjoyed the movie. I didn't hate it. To me, it's become a little bit overrated. But I also do see that a lot of people really connected with that story. Especially, I've seen like people that come from immigrant families really connect with that story, and it was really meaningful to them. So I also wouldn't take anything away from anyone that really connected to it on that level. For me, the humor and the wacky sci-fi stuff didn't land as much. Um, I don't know if I think I like. To me, that's not. It's not the the best picture of the year, even though I think it probably will win, but still enjoyed it. Um, but maybe, maybe not quite as much as, as some others did. I loved it. And I loved this world that they created in this multiverse where it's not just like, I like the Jet Li, the, the one yeah. analogy. Cause I also <laughs> loved that movie growing up. Uh, it was like 12 or 13 when it came out. Dude, I thought it was a, so cool. That's a banger. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it, but in that movie, it's it's just like here, just with slightly different aesthetic changes, or people just have different jobs, people have different social statuses, and those were in this multiverse. But on top of that, 
it had different physical characteristics. They were the, like the one where they were just rocks. Uh, mm. I, I really enjoy that was a great moment between the mother and the daughter. And some of it was silly, but some of it was just totally absurd. And I, I like that they were creative in how they visualize that because in some multiverse or parallel universe things, it's always everything is just like this, just a little bit different. But they really thought outside of the box in this depiction here. I was watching a video today showing kind of some of the Easter eggs throughout the movie. And, the you know, this whole thing revolved around this everything bagel, which is a, a, a theory of how the universe is actually shaped. Right. That, that there's actually uh, astrophysicists have have for years theorized that the universe is shaped like a bagel or a donut. There's this is a real working theory. Like Stephen Hawking has talked about it. Howard Bloom has talked about it. Okay. So like it's a nod to that actual theory about the entire universe. Aesthetically, it's kind of absurd that you see this kind of like throbbing black everything bagel in that you know that pristine white room that they're in where she's talking about it but i did like that the story and experience that they showed of the family itself and how they dealt with the irs how they dealt with these really tough ex how the daughter uh stephanie sue's character dealt with the expectations of her parents veered from the stereotypical expectations we see traditionally in asian families and movies and pop culture right it's you have to practice violin you have to get in perfect grades you have to get into the best school you know that's that's the stereotype we always see with asian families and uh in pop culture but this was just this was a real pure american story it is her family isn't purely accepting of her sexuality they don't know where she's going to go with her life uh, she's got this angst and rage within her that they're trying to break through so they could, you know, reestablish this mother-daughter bond. That's the real American story. Like that is that is so so purely American and much more relatable than than other stereotypical depictions. I really appreciated that. I like that a lot of the movie took place within the confines or just you know within the IRS structure. And in the simplest distillation of this movie, it's. It is somebody who is being, you know, broken and their spirit is being broken and their life is potentially upended by this ridiculous taxation system that doesn't need to be that complicated. And it's because of, you know, huge power players in the tax industry that it is. Uh, so, you know, an implicit nod to just how fucked our system is and where you have people like this who are honest, hardworking people dealing with that, where we were tax cheats all around us just get off scot-free wow that was great jordan honestly you should host my <laughs> podcast um <laughs> uh no i agree with all that and and rob i totally get like you know that's the beautiful thing about art is that it moves us all in different ways yeah. you know very rarely is everyone in uniform agreement and and i totally get it i've talked to a number of people who are like well there was a lot going on in that movie and it didn't all totally work for me and yeah they really you know more than anything, I really applaud them for, I for one, for being able to conceptualize this world and this story, which like, I, like I, just thinking about like storyboarding that or like outlining that, I'm like, I don't even know how you start yeah. doing that. Um, and just like really like swinging for the fences, just really being like, we're just going to make the weirdest, craziest 
but still somehow very heartfelt movie about like this family. Um, yeah, this American family experience. I thought it was really, it's, it's a real achievement, uh, regardless of whether it all works coherently. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Um, even though I wasn't crazy about some of that stuff, just on a visual level, still pretty stunning and definitely, definitely a pretty uh, impressive achievement. Um, and that's the thing. I don't have super strong feelings about it. I mostly enjoyed it. No one get mad at me over this. Okay. Please. I'm a, I'm a Rob, but what about that? What about that part when like that guy put that thing in his butt though? But like, what about that part? Yeah. That was like pretty Well, funny. I always support that, that in any, like in any film. Anytime I see something like that, I'm, I'm hooting and hollering. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right good we got him back <laughs> yes he's on he, team everything uh on the filmmaking part yeah talk about swinging for the fences there are scenes where they're like rapidly flying through some of these different universes where all these different things are happening and between the set construction and the visual effects it'd be like a split second where you just see a different world where they're rapidly flying through i think you just never see it again and i, I this isn't to knock it it's that they put onto the storyboard point, they put so much thought into all of these different scenarios, all of these different worlds and universes that some of them have really specific and odd details. Some are somewhat like ours, that it's just so creative and vast. I really appreciate that they put so much work into it rather than just being a handful or several that you see often over and over again. And there are some that have bigger roles than others, but there are, one where she's just driving a truck for a split second, then you just don't see it again. Mm. I, I really liked it. I mean, real life Ratatouille, that really killed me. <laughs> with the. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's the hibachi chef. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And the, the performances were some of my favorite of the year. I mean, like. Michelle Yeoh obviously getting like her flowers as she should. She's amazing in this movie. Uh, Kiwe Kwan as her husband also, you know, this is like his comeback. And that's the other part of this whole thing is like the meta narrative, which also Hollywood loves is the comeback story, you know? So like Kiwe Kwan, you know, famous child actor, uh, you know, he's he's, he's been working for the last 20, he's been working as a stuntman and as I think a, director i think he directs some stuff as well and this was kind of like his first big acting role in a, in a long time and it's completely reignited his acting career and hollywood loves that but uh i i think stephanie sue was really like blew me away in this performance she has to do so much uh as the the daughter uh character just in playing like playing the villain of the movie, but then also playing like, like you were saying, Jordan, like this very vulnerable teen at the same time. Um, yeah. I would really love to see her walk away with this award. Uh, Kihei Kwan's media tour in the run up to the Oscars also highlights another problem in our society and that's healthcare. I, oh, I, I yeah. don't know if either of you saw these, these clips where he's doing these late night talk show interviews and he's talking about how he ended up, he did end up losing healthcare because he hadn't met the minimum requirement for for SAG-AFTRA. And, you know, people thought they framed it in entertainment and, you know, media press as, wow, we love it. He he's he's finally got a role. He made this comeback like you're talking about. 
But others and the Sanders, Bernie Sanders video team saw it and was like, he should never have been in this position to begin with. He should never have been, you know, risking losing, especially during the pandemic, which is when he ended up losing it because he didn't hit the minimum threshold for SAG-AFTRA. It's ridiculous that this is even a circumstance yeah. in this American country. American media loves is so-called inspiring stories that are actually extremely horrific when you think about them for longer than like five <laughs> seconds. This little girl has a lemonade stand to raise money for her mom's leukemia treatments. It's like, that's terrible. She, why, did she, why did she have to do that? That's, ter- that's awful. America loves those kind of stories. So. I, I mean, and just a tiny bit of additional context. Um, SAG-AFTRA voted to change their their contracts and their health insurance plans and requirements. I think it was like, I want to say 2021, maybe it was the last year that I was a pay. I was a member of SAG after a paying dues member. And then I was like, I'm, <laughs> I decided to stop acting. I was like, you're not, fuck this. I'm never paying these dues ever again. Um, but they voted on these new uh, requ- minimum requirements for work. And one of my best friends who she's a working actor, she was like, yo, I am going to lose my health insurance if this vote goes through because they are they're raising the minimum requirements so much. They basically like screwed over a huge, huge amount of lesser working actors um, for this terrible contract. And like there was like a small contingent, there's small like uh, like militant contingent within sag after that was organizing to try to stop the or try to like get the vote, get the contract voted down but they were unsuccessful and yeah a lot of additional actors lost their health insurance i think it was after that 2021 vote because of how terrible these contracts were that they passed um sag after a uh historically not the best guild um uh, look we love we love a labor union we love organized labor but you know they they can have their uh they can have their institutional issues just like any other organization and sag has always kind of been one of the not as great artist uh guilds i know like the wga is really good but like I mean, Ronald Reagan was the president of SAG, you know, like that's where, <laughs> yeah, it speaks for itself. That's where he got yeah. his start. How great can it be? Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, well, we don't want to take up too much of your time. Frank, we really appreciate you you joining us. Uh, one final pitch. Where could people find Movies versus Capitalism and also follow you and find more of your work? We know you're a big, you're a socialist TikToker. Yes, I, I haven't been <laughs> I haven't been as active on TikTok recently, but I'll start with I'll start with the podcast. So yeah, movies versus capitalism, uh all the podcast players, or you can go to mvcpod.com that has all of our links. Um if you want to find me on TikTok, it's frankly underscored socialist, which is a stupid handle that I <laughs> shouldn't have picked, but here we are. Uh <laughs> uh and yeah, and then just any of the other work I'm doing with the lever. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate, uh, being here. You guys, I, I really enjoy this show and I was stoked to get the chance to come on and chat about some movies. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you guys. Hey everyone. Thank you for listening to the insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at insurgentspod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. 